Welcome to episode 11 of The Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. In this episode, Drs. Faith Quenzer and Molly Estes interview Dr. Carol Peck-Tang on her journey through emergency medicine. I'm Faith Quenzer, and I'm a clinical research fellow at uh, the University of California at San Diego. And I'm here to interview uh, Carol here, and it's going to be an amazing talk, so I'm looking forward to this. And hello, everybody. My name is Molly Estes, and I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California. Welcome to our latest episode of the Women's Wisdom Podcast. And as Faith said, we have the honor of having with us here today Dr. Carol Peck-Tang, who works clinically at Jersey City Medical Center and is a member of the AAEM board. It's so wonderful to have you with us here today. Yeah, so great to be here. Thank you. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. What are some of the things that you do for AEM and for your hospital and other organizations? Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, at the top of the list, right, this is the AEM podcast, and it's such an honor to serve on the board of directors. I get to see so many of the initiatives across the whole academy that we are we're really making a difference and we are we are standing up for patients and we're standing up for ourselves as well and we just have to keep doing that. The advocacy work that I've gotten to do because of the relationships with AEM for due process, for our physician mental health across. I mean, what what an incredible endurance tests we've had this past year um and we really choose to you know i think this year more than ever we've been challenged to choose standing up for our patients and to choose to be there for them and for our country in this time of need um it's been an honor but it it also is a burden and it's a struggle that we all endure um so making sure that we stay healthy as well as our patients um, has been a great thing to watch our organization be a part of and standing up and putting out, being a part of putting out position statements that say like, hey, we are part of the team and we're the leaders of the team and we continue to fight for that. Um, you know, to do that unabashedly through AEM has been really incredible to watch and incredible to be a part of. I can't even agree more. I mean, the the challenges that we faced as a specialty this last year, um, and I love how you said advocating not only for ourselves, but for our patients as well. If nothing else, the pandemic and everything that we've experienced has just highlighted so many of the challenges our patients are facing, not just in access to healthcare, but in access to different treatments and our work has only started when it comes to trying to equalize the playing fields for ourselves and for our patients and for our entire community. So um, this is one of my favorite questions to ask um, on this podcast. When you're not at the hospital saving lives, what do you do outside of the hospital? So a lot. Um, <laughs> I have, well, the thing that keeps me the busiest is that I have three daughters, nine, four, and seven. Um, so very busy with home stuff, as so many working mothers are. 
Um, but in addition to you know serving on the AEM board and doing uh, work within our specialty and within our organization, I have my own company. So I'm the founder and CEO of APA Emerge, which is a community of Asian American um, physicians and how we really talk and look at the different social issues that we deal with separately uh, and uniquely with our identities. Um, a little known fact is that Asian Americans overall in every industry are the least likely to be promoted. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's quite a feat. Um, so I do a lot of media stuff related to the advocacy work there. And in this past year, there's been this rise in violence against Asian Americans. So I've been putting together a lot of advocacy events around that. Um, and it was really cool because we had an event that my nine-year-old daughter closed the event and spoke at the event. And it was just so amazing. And it was one of those validating moments like as a parent, um, for the advocacy work I'm doing, for raising my daughter, it was kind of like the culmination of all of that. And we actually got to be on a CNN feature recently. So it was just like all sorts of like pride and joy and like validation of the work that we're really making a difference. Um, and in addition to that, I do some healthcare advising in the med tech space, which has been really cool because one of the things that's really surprising is a lot of um, these companies are not having like cl clinicians that are actually still working at the bedside advising them. Um, so it's been a really interesting opportunity and we'll see where you know the future of medicine goes. It's really exciting, the products that I get to see and experience. Okay, so, so let me get this right. You, <laughs> you're an active working mom, uh, have created your own company, work as a consultant. How, please, enlighten us, how do you balance all of that? How do you manage to do all of this and stay on top of it and excel in everything? Yeah, well, I mean, I have a great family team behind me, right? Like I have all these people, we, you know, outsource as much as we can. We, you know, that's what you have to do as a working mother. And my kids are super supportive. Of the, like I said, you know, they're there with me. We, I also do political candidacy work and they go knocking on doors with me and they love it and they get involved and they get excited about being a part of the political system, being a part and seeing their own sense of agency. Um, so anytime I can, I incorporate my kids into the work that I do. Um, but it's hard. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I learned the hard way going through a period of a major depression in residency um, and that you have to put yourself first. You have to put your mental health and your physical health and what you're putting into your body first because you can't be a mother. You can't be a physician. You can't be um, someone who's working if you're not working on yourself first. And, you know, it's, it's a long, hard road that we all have to keep rebalancing. Right. So occasionally I'll take breaks and say, whoa, let me consider like all the things on the table and rebalance where, where you have to put extra pressure on when something really, you know, as emergency doctors, we know the emergency things come first. Right. But you have to make sure that emergency thing is not you. Um, so, yeah, it's really tough. I, I can't even imagine. And because most of our, well, a lot of our audience that are listening um, to this podcast are medical students or residents or people who are early on in their careers, many of us are very familiar with the whoops, I overstretched myself moment. Is there anything that you specifically have found over the years that helps you get back into balance or 
things, specific checkpoints that you've put into place as early warning systems to let you know when you're reaching that line? Yeah, I think that's a great question because everyone, you have to kind of really step back and look at your life and say, what are the things? Like, I know for me, if my hair is getting really long, right, and I'm not making time to get a haircut, like, uh-oh, I guess I'm not scheduling myself in enough. One of the other things I do for my mental health is I, I have one of those um, massage membership profiles. And so every month, at least, right, at least once a month, I'm taking time to get my mental and physical health in check through doing massage. And it's also just that extra reminder like, okay, this is for you. This is no matter how busy the schedule gets, you have to schedule that time out for yourself. Um, so I think it's a really great idea to reset. And, you know, as I said, on the, after that period of depression, I took an entire, what I call my year of no, where I put down everything non, like all the extraneous stuff other than family and learning. It was my first year as an attending, learning how to be a great attending and being a great physician. And you know what? It's really scary to say no to opportunities, but if you, if people know you and they know your work ethic and they know that once you're back, you know, they can still depend on you, those opportunities will be there. And if they're not, they probably weren't the opportunities for you anyway. So I think a lot of people have reservations about taking a step back, but if it, it's actually gonna give you that energy to pour in when you can, rather than to just kind of barely minimally doing those things that you feel like you need to get done because you're wanting to say yes all the time. And we're so, I mean, gosh, emergency physicians in particular, uh, we are so always wanting to yes because we have like that heart and that sense of service within us, but you can't, you can't fill from an empty cup. <laughs> It's so true. I don't know about you, Faith, but I've definitely felt that pressure, um, especially the first few years out from residency that, oh, I'm afraid that if I don't say yes, then this opportunity is going to pass me by or I'm going to miss the boat or something's going to happen. And it's nice. It's very reassuring to hear that. No, 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 no. If the opportunities are supposed to be there, then they will come back around again. Yeah, I. that's so true. And just the emphasis of self-care and really um, focusing on making sure you're healthy. Um, we as physicians, you know, we have put a lot of things on the back burner, like, you know, we wait on having children, we wait on, you know, um, a job that pays, you know, right off the bat from college. I had colleagues who were working for Google and um, they were making like that six digit income right off the bat. And I'm like, oh, geez, I'm still in med school. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I got to change my own oil and do all this, all this other stuff that, you know, I can't, you know, rub two, uh, you know, two nickels together. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of attitude. And so, yeah, I mean, there's such delayed gratification that's so ingrained in our, you know, in our um, practice of medicine and everyone goes before we do. And it's so refreshing to know that it's okay, you know, that reassurance that it's okay to, to you know, put yourself first. Because yeah. like you said, you know, like there's no one, no one, no one benefits if you're sick 
and you are, you know, about to be hospitalized or you have appendicitis and you're still seeing patients, you know, like these are, that's a real story. <laughs> Not my story, but yeah. it's like, that's know. okay. That's my story. <laughs> oh, no. oh no, I'm sorry. It was no. horrible. I do not advise. <laughs> Zero not, stars. Yeah. Do not recommend. Yeah. No, but these are the things, right? And I mean, the culture is changing in medicine, which makes me really hopeful that the kind of awkward, weird pressures that we put on ourselves are not going to be there for the future of medicine and that it's not going to be this, like, you can't, if you can't do this, you can't cut it, right? So many people are like, oh, I've never taken a sick day in my life. Or I've, I've walked, I've heard so many older physicians say, oh, I've walked around and done rounds with an IV, like in my arm. And it's just like, that is not something we should be upholding, right? Like we have to say that we matter too, right? This movement to bring humanity back into medicine that we're like, well, guess what? We're not robots, right? We're humans too. And so we have to continue to strive to make sure that we as humans, we as women, as people with things that happen in our lives, that matters too. And that the workforce and the way that we set up our work can accommodate that because it just should. Could not agree more. And oftentimes when I I find that I have these conversations with people like yourself who are incredibly highly successful, involved in multiple things and doing it all with grace and aplomb, your journey along the way has oftentimes involved many people who were able to mentor you, who were able to demonstrate to you what that looked like in real life. Who were some of your mentors? Who helped shape how you got to where you are today? Yeah, well, one of the biggest first decisions for me as a working woman was having my first kid. So I'm a crazy person. I had my first kid in medical school, my second kid in residency intern year, and my third kid as a first year attending. And so like I was incredibly lucky in medical school to have multiple women mentors that said, Mm -hmm. you know, that I went to and I'm like, look, I my husband and I have been talking about having a kid, but I don't know what that looks like in medical school. And they were like, look, your life comes first. Like you will figure it out. I took a break from um, right after third year and restarted my fourth year at the beginning of um, January. And it was the best decision of my life. Mm-hmm. I had multiple dis- you know, other attendings that said, look, you'll never get those months back, right? And then I did all that and that seemed really crazy. And I got to residency and literally a week before I started orientation, I figured out I was pregnant and I was like, oh my God, how am I gonna do this? And again, I was so lucky to have not like an entire team of attendings that were like, no, it'll be fine. And like such an amazing intern class that I was like, "Mm, I just met you guys like three days ago, but I'm pregnant and I'm going to have to take maternity leave. And I know the value of that because I did that in medical school. And they were like, don't worry, we got you, whatever. Um, So like I find myself so, I mean, it's it's really a village like I found um, to to help me make those really big life decisions that seem so overwhelming as a woman and feeling like, oh, you're not putting your career first. Well, like life, life matters first 
really, right? We have this calling. I think it's tough too for us as physicians because we feel like it's a calling. We have that calling to serve, the calling to take care of others. Um, but we have to have our lives as well. And I think I, I'm just encouraged by everyone continuing to send that message out more and more as I see across medicine. Um, and then, of course, within AEM, Dr. Lois Swisher has been a huge advocate of mine and someone who, you know, has built a lot of this. And I know is like, I always call her like the hidden secret sauce behind so many people. And so I'm loving that she's getting the recognition that she, we all know that she deserves. And I called her up. I was like, mm, so I think I'm going to try to run for the board. I have the skill set. I have the ability. And um, she's like, that's interesting. She's like, that's really audacious. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And she's like, yes, do it. You know, and I don't know if I, and she's like, let me hook you up and put you in contact with people that can also tell you about the ups and downs of what that looks like. And, you know, without her, I wouldn't have had the guts. You know, I had that imposter syndrome, but I, I knew I had the skills and I wanted to serve. And, and she was like, okay, go for it, go for it. I'm going to support you. So I, I owe a lot to Lois as so many of us do. We all do. We all do. <laughs> we all do. Uh, Lois is is an amazing uh, mentor to a lot of us here at AEM. So you're right. She is like the uh, special secret sauce <laughs> in the ingredient of success uh, for a lot of us women in EM. Yeah, and all of us getting to meet, you know, yeah. at multiple different stages. She literally knows like everybody. <laughs> I feel like we should maybe uh, make some t-shirts or something, you know, SS, the secret sauce. Maybe <laughs> triple sauce. S, secret sauce triple. swisher. <laughs> secret sauce swisher, yes. Maybe. <laughs> and for those of our listeners who haven't had a chance to hear it, we actually had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Swisher on this podcast. So please check out that episode. So one of um, the you know, one of the things that I love about our meeting this year is um, we're coming together um, as ER docs um, all across the nation. And um, we all know that COVID has hit our specialty really hard. Um, I'm curious to know what your story is and like how um, you've, you know, had to go through this year of um, dealing with COVID patients and seeing how that affected your family life and um, just even social dynamics, even with your, your own um, company and group. Like, how has COVID affected you? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot, right? Like, this year has been so insane. Um, so working in Jersey City, right across New York City, we were part of that first wave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we do medical control for the entire county where we, where we live. So um, my name is on an unfathomable number of people's death certificates that I haven't even seen or touched. And so all day taking care of the COVID patients like in person and being scared and like, you know, donning and doffing the PPE nearly at not the rate we are ever used to, right? You used to go into a patient's room that had possible TB, not even confirmed, and like you'd forget to ask one question and you'd like go, you'd put on all your stuff again, go in and ask the one question for maybe 10 seconds and take it off. And suddenly we were like wearing it from room to room to room. We didn't even know at the beginning. Like, I mean, when I tell you 
the fear that we had in the New York City area of being the first people to be hit by this en masse, we had no idea. I remember like we figured out that we, we were scared to touch the EKG papers, right? Mm-hmm. When they were handing them to you. And like, I did not sleep, you know? And then all day long on top of seeing those patients in person, you're like picking up the phone, this person at home, dead. We need you to pronounce that person all like, the entire shift and you cut you had to not think about counting those numbers because it was just too much um and then when we started you know having like the ipads and telling people and calling people on the phone and like begging patients family members to not come to the hospital because it is the thing they're the last thing their dying or dead loved one would want them to do is to come and catch this disease that we had no idea what was wreaking havoc on our bodies. It was incredibly tough. And then at home, you know, that's just in the hospital. At home, when I talked about recruiting all those resources, we lost all of our resources, mm-hmm. right? Because we weren't, we were scared. I, I told my, my mom comes to help us whenever I'm like, on a bunch of shifts and things, and I had to say, no, don't come. And she wanted to come, right? And she wanted to be helpful because she knew that we had also lost our au pair. Her whole family got sick in Sweden, so she left. So we were left with no childcare, no additional help, and then the additional stresses from work. So it's been an incredible ride, right? But it's so encouraging that we've gotten to the blessing of like fast technology and like people investing in all this stuff to where we are today. But those things are something, you know, the PTSD, like the trauma that we went through collectively is something that we're gonna be dealing with, Mm -hmm. right, for a long time. We're all scarred in different ways from this past year. And so like now more than ever, we do have to double down on those wellness things and, and figure out how do we how do we rebuild this? You know, everyone's rushing to get back to quote unquote normal. Well, normal wasn't that great. So let's like figure out how now that things are so broken, how do we rebuild in a way that like actually supports people, actually supports physicians, actually supports the patients that we're taking care of. And hopefully we will see something or, or this is gonna be like a wasted trauma that we've all gone through. So, you know, stuff like this, the storytelling of it is so important. I love that. It's it's acknowledging our past and prepping for the future all at the same time. Uh, fully realizing that we are who we are because of our past, but then moving forward into the future. And that's kind of the note that I would really love to end on as we unfortunately draw to the end of our time here. But what are the things that you look to as inspiration for the future? Where do you get your hope from? Where do you see us going? What does tomorrow hold? Yeah, I mean, geez, we're here at our conference like this, meeting all of you, meeting like the people that are dedicated to AEM. That that has given me hope throughout the entire pandemic. It was definitely hard to add on that, right? The service that I do as a board member in these last two years, um, in addition to all that crazy stress and all, everything. But at the same time, it like gave me hope to see like people across the country within our organization are fighting and still advocating despite having hard times, right? We're st- we're here in person at a conference. I mean, that seemed unfathomable 
when we were voting on trying to move forward and we trusted that the science would be there so that we could be here together and meet and like the most important thing is like the sense of community right because it can be very isolating the job that we have i know i've gotten entire shifts without saying hello to the colleague sitting next to me because you're just rushing and you're like taking care of the patients and you're so focused. And so even on a shift, you can feel so isolated, but being here together and working together and advocating together, we don't have to feel so alone. Doing the storytelling, right, of the same experience that we've done, we don't have to be alone. And, and that's really exciting to me. And so we're gonna just keep pushing. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Pak Tang. It's really been an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. Wonderful story. And I just look forward to hearing more. Awesome. Thank you all so much. This is such a great, a great platform that you're doing. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AEM, visit our website at www.aam.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under Resources and then Publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.